Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. And we are back in the bleachers. I am Jeff Blum, 14-year Major League veteran and current, what am I sitting at, nine years? Nine years in the booth with the Houston Astros. And it is good to be on this podcast. We have been going for a good year and a half, and it's been a lot of fun. I am out in Houston. I used to live in California next to this guy, my co-host, David Tuttle, who is out there on the left coast. Tuttle, you played nine years of minor league baseball. You are a participant on the Team USA during the late 80s, mid 80s, I believe, and uh, got some time traveling up. Early 90s. Wait up, what? Early 90s. Dang it. Early 90s. That's okay. Yeah, it's okay. I was, man, that's going way back. Early 90s? Like, yeah, we're old. We were talking about the Go Go's earlier. I'm just saying, like, you know. I was going to say, yeah, we were hitting on Belinda Carlisle earlier, but. Uh, I regress. My co-host, David Tuttle, you just heard his voice out there on the left coast. Uh, we are good friends. We've known each other for a very long time, and now we have a podcast. But uh, Tuttle, how are things going? It has, it's been an interesting time, but uh, what do you got going on? Anything new with you or anything exciting that you want to share with us? Share with the group during Team Share here in the bleachers? Team Share. Well, um, yeah. No, I, I, you know, Blummer, always good to be on with you. I think uh, we're hitting the uh, the exciting time of the baseball season, obviously, in California here. Um, and, uh, you know, not, nothing exciting going on really. I mean, there's some spikes in the COVID, but we've been talking about COVID for two years. I think the exciting part is that, uh, we're going to share this podcast with our fans and we're going to take questions that we've been asked and, uh, you know, just be, be one with the people, which is kind of exciting for, uh, for us, as we know, we've been doing this about two years and, um, you know, there are a lot of folks that want to hear our thoughts. Yeah, we greatly appreciate that, too. We get a lot of feedback. Uh, if you go to bleacherblums.com, we've got a mailbag. We also have at bleacherblums on Instagram and on uh, Twitter. You can get to myself at blummer27. You can get to Tuttle at Real David Tuttle on Twitter. But also, we have a YouTube channel. We're trying to push some people towards there because we've got short clips of every podcast that we've been doing here and maybe in the last month or so on there. And we're going to just keep accruing and keep cutting those up because uh, we know that sometimes not Getting the you know getting the whole podcast at once can be a little bit tough, but if you want to get a quick, short, quick clip of some of the, our podcasts, make sure you go to YouTube, uh, subscribe to that Bleacher Blums uh, YouTube channel. Uh, what do you hit a bell or something like that, and you subscribe, and you can rate, you can review, you can leave comments on there. Also, we could get some of your questions from there. Also, I know that our producer Mark, who is on this podcast right now, also doing a very good job of of getting getting our podcast out there and doing a very good job as far as the marketing is concerned, but also doing a great job of reaching out to fans and and hearing what they want to hear and getting it to this podcast. So that's where this podcast is going to be a little bit unique in the sense that normally Tuttle and I will make up uh, all kinds of subjects and have some fun with it. But right now we are going to take some questions from the mailbag that we've gotten through our bleacherblums.com and also online. So Mark Ramos, how are you doing? We never ask how you're doing, dude. (laughs) No one asked me how I'm doing. No, I'm just kidding. Doing great. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. Can't complain. So uh, you're only saying that because the camera's rolling and we're forcing you to be kind. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Let's let's get into these questions. First one I have here is I still call my high school coach Coach Tuttle. Let's just say for example, but why doesn't that happen in the big leagues? When does this change? <laughs> 
That's a really good question. I don't know if there is, I'm not sure. Maybe it's because the paycheck changes a little bit or the, the status of a, of a, of a manager. I can't even, I don't even think in the minor leagues, I called my coach coach in the minor leagues. They were still either skipper, uh, Man, what are the, some of the other ones? Total, I know that coach stops in high school, but for whatever reason, once you get past high school, it turns into something else. You know, college, I didn't you? I guess I don't know. I mean, you had Milano. We called our I coach know, seven. I, yeah, yeah, seven. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Hey, oh, we had Coach Oldham, so I know um, you know he went by Coach. But I, I think it's funny. I, my instinct is first of all, baseball players love one syllable. So I was called like <laughs> I was called Tuttle most of my life, like just easier, you know. There's a bunch of Davids or whatever, but then it turned into Tut, you know. Hey Tut, like do this, just like Blummer turns into Blum. Hey Blum, you know. And you, we were talking about Bochi before, right? Boach, you know. We should have made it like mm-hmm. you said, Coach Boach would have been a good, a good <laughs> alternative, but he might have thrown a, a baseball at you. Um, I think there's some like it must be uh, like an unwritten rule of baseball is kind of what my thought were it because you don't know why it happened or where it came from. I mean, it's a great question, but honestly, you, you learn really quickly, <laughs> like your first a ball team. When you start, if you use the <laughs> word coach, I mean, we had, you know, polite guys from the South on our team. They were like, Hey, coach Michael. And they're like, uh, yeah, that's not going to fly. It's Mike or you know, <laughs> skip or Mike, like, you know, they just put you in your place right away. But I don't know if there is a, um, you know, a foundational reason or some sort of historical thing that we can look to. But yeah, it was, wouldn't you say it's like another unwritten rule of baseball was kind of my instinct. Yeah. No, I, I truly believe that too. You know, and, and you, when you're in high school or in college, it is a head coach. It's not a manager of the ball club, you know, and I feel like baseball is the only one that's, you know, other than maybe, uh, and you probably know this better than I do is uh, the European uh, soccer leagues have managers, they don't have coach head coaches. Head coaches are right. in football and uh, other sports. But once you get into professional baseball, it turns into manager of the team. And I think that's where it turns from. Uh, I feel like coach is a term of endearment where you're like, oh, coach, I love you, coach. Play hard for you, coach. You know, And they wanted that level of respect. But once you get into professional sports, I feel like all of a sudden I am the manager. And now you will respect me and call me by either my name or skipper or something else. And Skipper, really? Is this a boat that we're? I mean, are we on the USS Minnow? <laughs> Where did Skipper come from? Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know, but uh, I know for a fact that you know now being on the media side and being in some of these scrums, talking to managers and other hitting coaches and 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 guys like that, I know if I really want to get under their skin or take a little jab at them as we're walking away, I, I would love doing it to AJ because AJ hated the word coach. So if we got done with a media scrum and AJ was had a really good scrum, he's feeling good about himself. He's all puffed up and gave all the right answers. I go, hey, thanks, coach, and walk away. And it would absolutely drive him bonkers when I did that. So I don't know what happened. That's the ball player in you, because that's what I would do. You got to needle your <laughs> either former teammates yeah. or people you know it's going to bug. I will say this that I think is kind of funny now being in the corporate world for you know really longer than I played baseball. I think one of the um, intangible things or kind of one of the interesting things there is a lot of companies want to keep a hierarchy right? Like there's, this is your level. There's a manager, there's a VP. They like the hierarchy. And I think in some ways, when we look at Bull Durham, like, Hey, crash, come on into the office and shut the door. You're like, Oh, so, you know, you, we've talked about trades on here before. And when you get called into the manager, manager's office, the skipper's office, 
I think there was an unusual feeling because I, I mean, I can, without naming names, I really, I got along with most of my managers or coaches, but I didn't I love did my, I, oh yeah, there you go. Well, I didn't love my A-ball <laughs> manager. Well, I mean, you know, the guys that you had yes. to call, you know, hey, I got to call you Mike. Okay, great. Well, I don't really like you, Mike, but I'll call you Mike instead of coach or whatever. But, you know, Mike would call you in the office to tell you you got traded or moved up or down or whatever. And it was like, I don't know. I mean, they were trying to create this comfort and that wasn't there. It was almost better. Like the people you didn't get along with, I wanted to call coach or skipper because, you know, I could give two, you know, two shits about whether, yeah, you know, they were going to send me up or down. Put me in the lineup more often. Yeah, right. So, I, yeah, <laughs> like I think it's funny that it got away, but I do think it's like just, it's almost one of those unwritten rules of baseball. It probably started in the 50s or the 40s and I don't know. But I think like you said, European soccer is a great example because those guys, they call them the manager to the press conference at the end of the game. And there's this, there's this, very specific line of delineation. Like that guy's the manager. We work for him. You know, we need to do what he says, that kind of thing. And baseball, it gets a little muddled, which is kind of interesting. You talked about, you know, Bochi or Kevin Towers, like KT, these guys that respected you. And, you know, they were they were guys you could call in the off season and go fishing. And they were guys that were your friends. Mm -hmm. But sometimes that line would get blurred and people would see like, oh, they have Blummer's the teacher's pet or, you know, these guys have a good relationship with these guys, <laughs> but not these guys. Yep. So I think there is something to be said for, it would be interesting to call these guys skip or manager. But, you know, I mean, now you brought up guys that we played with that are managing, you know, like I think it would be mm -hmm. hard to call, you know, Booney, it would be hard to call him, you know, manager, you know, manager Boone, or, you know, it would be really difficult to go backwards after having, like you said, after playing with these guys. So I don't know. I think it's just an unwritten rule, but, uh, but maybe there is something in there. If you could keep that line strict, we've talked about Tony La Russa and Lou Pinella, like, you know, it might've been fun to just call them manager. Hey, manager. <laughs> hey, hey, skipper. You know, well, see if you when you say manager, it's, it sounds like like they're working at you know the local department store too, you know, or at the mall, you know. Oh, I, that's I'm manager. That's of my Pac son. Okay. That's right. I'm the assistant to the assistant manager. So what yeah. is that? The the bullpen coach is the assistant to the assistant pitching coach. And exactly. You just call him. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So I have so, no idea where it came yeah. from. It's just part of the game. Yep. That's a long answer to get to. We have no flipping idea. <laughs> yeah. And, and a lot of it does depend on if you like the guy or not. <laughs> That's right. Do you remember your first professional hit, strikeout, home run, and do you have any of those baseballs? First professional, man. First professional would go back to uh, like 1994 when I was, when I was in uh, Burlington, Vermont, and I do not, do not remember that at all. I remember my first big league hit, was off of August 9th, 1999, off of uh, Matt Clement in Montreal versus the San Diego Padres. It was a double to right field, and I think I, I may have – I don't think I drove in a run on that one, but I know I had a couple of RBIs in that game. Ooh. And then uh, my first big league home run was maybe about four or five days later in Colorado, of course, against um, relief pitcher Mike DeJean. And I nice. do have those baseballs. That's great. How did you get the home run ball in Colorado? Did somebody throw it back or did the bullpen chase it down for you? I'm always curious about, because some people like to keep those. Yeah. Like, hey, I'm going to sell this to Blum. 
No, you're right. And it, and, and it actually, it was the bullpen. I don't know how or why, but the bullpens are in right field and I hit it into the bleachers in right field in Colorado, but somehow, some way somebody, you know, got a hold of the person and swapped out, you know, a baseball for my home run ball. And I actually do have it. So yeah, it, it came nice. from the bullpen. You're right. Nice bleachers. You hit into the bleachers. Hit the bleachers. Um, yeah. So for me, gosh, I mean, I, my first team was the Charleston Wheelers in Charleston, West Virginia. Um, I do not recall the first person I struck out. You know, I think pitching is a little bit different. Like, I think the first time I got a win or something like that, but um, I might have the baseball. I'm not really a memorabilia collector. I mean, it's kind of interesting. I think the big leagues is a little bit different. You see it all the time where the guys ask for the ball. Um, I've been watching a lot of the MLB.TV stuff, and they keep showing those same snippets that cover the ads. Like they've shown Randy a Rosarena like get his twenty seventh hit in postseason play last year, and they keep getting the ball. He asked for the ball, right? It was the the mm-hmm. most hits in a postseason or something like that. So there are, I think, milestones where it's legitimate um, to like you know Blummer said, you know, the first big league hit, you know, and you know exactly when that was August 9th, nineteen ninety nine. Like those kind of things stick yep. in your mind. But uh, you know, the minor leagues are a little bit different because you're on this, you know journey hopefully to get to the big leagues i remember and we've talked about this as well i certainly remember you know we won a couple minor league championships and boy that felt like winning the world Mm -hmm. series like that was they do those i have yeah i have memorabilia from that either a ring or you know baseball like if you're on the you know the mound when the the game was sealed or something like that so there are some definite uh memories i have but definitely not the first strikeout and i guess the athlete would say just similar to um, you know, scoring a touchdown in the NFL, you'd want to keep the football, but it's like, hey, this is, you know, I want to act like I've been there and done that. You know, I'm on the way to the big leagues. Like, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to strike out a lot of guys. I'll probably walk a lot of guys too, but I don't need to save the ball from this. I'm going to wait till I get to the big leagues. So, um, yeah, I don't have a whole, I wouldn't say I remember exactly where I was and how it happened, but, you know, no, I, I remember giving up a home run off the bull. I think I've told you this before. Oh, yeah. I pitched a complete game. I didn't even know I got a complete game. You know, Kevin Grijack was two for four with two home runs and two strikeouts, and I lost the game two to one. I went like eight and two thirds. He came up in the bottom of the ninth, and they left me out there, and it was one one. And at that time, he was one for three with a home run and two strikeouts. And I'm like, eh, I think the odds are in my favor. And he hit one off the bull. I felt like I was in the movie. You know, hit one off the bull, <laughs> and the whole place goes crazy. And that old ballpark, yeah, that ballpark was a dump. You know, they've they've since built a brand new, um, you know, stadium there in Durham. But Did that you say was a brand fun, new dump. The old one was a dump. They built a brand new stadium that is beautiful. Oh, oh. yeah, I think it's downtown Athletic Park or something. But anyway, so uh, you know, that's a long answer to get to. No, I do not have any memorabilia from first strikeouts or first hits or anything like that. Producer Mark, you're going to love this. You know what other baseball I have? Series history. Blum hits it into right down the line. It is gone. Jeff Blum, the former Astro, goes deep. And here in the 14th inning, the White Sox take a 6-5 lead. What's that? My home run ball from 2005. And that's been Bleacher Blown's podcast for this week. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's been a pleasure having Mark as a producer. (laughs) How did you you acquire that one? That that you must know the story around that, right? Well, it just, I remember the home run actually, because doing a podcast with you, I've seen the highlights, but it just kind of got over the right field wall. So it did not leave the stadium. I know that. No, it, it hit uh, the walkway down the right field line, maybe about six or seven rows back, but it shot back onto the field, and, it, and a security guard got it. And I knew the security guard, and he 
brought it to me and gave it to me. And that's how I have it. I still have it. And I, and you know what? I, when I first, man, when I got that baseball at the end of 2005, I had somebody very wealthy found out that I had it and offered me a massive chunk of change for it. And I said, no. Nice. So, yeah, it was crazy. I was like, you want a what? Yeah. And I, it was enough money to where I was like, hmm, I might do yeah. that. No, I, but, I'm with uh, you. I'm, I've held on to it. I think what you realize in life, I mean, the money thing is nice, but you know, if you could, oh, here we go. If you could pay the, like your kid's college education, which is what you were thinking probably at some point or another. I mean, you know, we've talked about being friends for a long time. I would just say that speaks volumes of your character. And I know other people will be like, well, that's stupid. But, you know, it goes back to the steroid thing for me. I mean, you got to think when people say things are priceless, you know, like put your money where your mouth is. I mean, you know, if you could pay your kid's college education, but you could probably do that anyway. I think it, um, you know, speaks volumes of your character. And honestly, it probably means way more to you than anybody else. And I think you probably have more... um, I don't know terms of endearment, but I, I'm, I'm assuming that that security guard means a lot to you as well. Like that's the kind of guy that you'd be like, look, that guy came to you, gave it to you. He never asked. Yeah, you think for about anything. what he could have done with it. Exactly. Like what a you know, mm-hmm. there are good people in this world. Let's just go. Let's go that far. And um, that's really cool that you still have that ball. Yeah. What do you got, Mark? Here's a follow up question: Where do you keep your balls? Whoa! Hey, come on now. <laughs> it's a little personal. <laughs> Jeez, could you could you could you rephrase the question? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I I have a, well from where I'm sitting, I have a safe uh, buried in a closet that uh, we keep everything in. So I have those in a safe. Yeah, I don't have. That's why I was looking up. I, I I'm in my office and I don't have. I have like a golf ball that I actually made a birdie with, but I don't have my uh, baseballs that I actually did anything. What do you got there, bud? Yeah. He was just asking. You're showing everybody where your keep... balls. <laughs> nice balls. So yeah, this is the <laughs> this is the Michael Jordan autograph baseball from oh, Double dang. A. Dang. But you know, again, value is value. I can't believe you keep yours in a safe. I guess if the amount of money that guy offered you must have been worth something. So you don't want somebody to break in your house. But and then this one. Well, it's if, ne- it's next to all my rings and stuff. Uh, yeah. Those are valuable. I know. <laughs> my rings are up here too, but again, minor league double A championship rings are not quite the same. Um, this one I got at an auction that I didn't, I don't even know if I paid for it. Well, I must've paid for it, but I was, this is a uh, Troy gloss. We, I think he was sitting at our table and we were joking around. Oh, how funny. Yeah. So he won the MVP of the, was it the nine, 2002 world series when they beat the yeah, 2002. Giants? Yeah. With the angels. Yeah. So I was a Giants fan and I went to a fundraiser with somebody in, you know, Orange County here and Gloss was sitting at our table and they're like, oh, the Troy Gloss ball is up for auction. I'm like, oh, I'll bid on that. And he was sitting there laughing with us. I mean, I'd met him once or twice. Anyway, so mm-hmm. somehow I ended up with a, he's like, I'm like, <laughs> will you autograph that napkin or do I have to keep bidding on this ball? Like anyway, so <laughs> it was a good cause, but I end up with a, out of all the things to have, right? I have a Michael Jordan is really the only autograph I've ever kept. And I have a Troy Gloss, you know, MVP of the 2002 World Series baseball as well. So there you go. That's kind of cool. At least Troy's a good dude. I've actually hung out with him a couple of times. He is a really good dude. Yeah. I mean, I think that was exactly what we were, you know, having a few beers and auctioning. And it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty funny. But, you know, it's a small fraternity. So like you said, I was, I ended up with that ball because we were giving each other a hard time. And, you know, I'm happy to have it right next to the Michael Jordan story, ball. But isn't it? Yeah. You know what, though? I mean, I'm not a memorabilia guy either, but I mean, some of these things, you do hold on to them just because they're a good story. I mean, half the time, 
you know, being able to tell the story is, you know, part of the value that you can't, you know, once you sell it or that item moves on, that story disappears with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I would agree with you. And you um, obviously have a, like a deeper uh, appreciation because you've actually, you know, accomplished something where, you know, I mean, you were doing your job and this thing happened, but all of a sudden this baseball is worth a lot of money. Um, that's, <laughs> that's crazy. You know, I mean, that's yeah, crazy. It is crazy. I think when Michael Jordan played double a baseball, he probably signed like 9,000 baseballs, you know, for, for his teammates and everybody that came in contact with him. So, but I enjoy it. And you know, it's, it means something to me, which is why I kept it. I never got anything signed for value, um, you know, for somebody else. So, so I think it's time for a word from our sponsors, folks. The best way to learn a language, immersion, living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. And we're back. Man, those sponsors, long-winded, aren't they? But uh, yes. certainly certainly paying the bills. Worth it. <clears throat> paying the we bills. We think. Yes, we haven't figured that part out yet. But uh, Ramos, what do we have? We have some more questions uh, coming down the pike. Yes, sir. What is the strangest superstition that you witnessed? Oh, dude, this is easy. So I get traded to the Houston Astros in 2002. My idea of joining the Astros was, man, Craig Biggio, Billy Wagner, uh, Jeff Bagwell, all these guys. Man, I had no idea, no idea how how weird and odd that Craig Biggio was. So there, there was a moment in my life where I might have qualified for the Killer Bees, and only in the sense that Jimmy Williams, when he filled out the lineup card, put Craig Biggio, Jeff Blum, Jeff Bagwell, Lance Berkman. So in doing so, it's opening day of 2003, and I'm hitting behind Bish. Bish goes up to the, you know, goes to the on deck circle, and he's got this this routine. And he goes up and hits, comes back. I go up, I hit. I, we do the whole thing. We do this for about a month, and I'm getting to the point where I cannot stay out of the way of what Craig Biggio is doing because it changes. If Craig gets a hit, he will repeat the performance that he had the at bat before. If he does not get a hit, it will change, and I don't know how it's going to change. So I found myself more often than not having Biz yell at me, like "Get the f out of the way" kind of thing, <laughs> where I'd be like, "Man, I'm just trying to get the donut. I'm trying to get some pine tar. You know, I'm trying to get ready for my bat." And he's like, "No, I got to put the donut right here." So I would. There were moments where I would just kind of sit back and wait till Craig was actually in the box. 
before I would go to the on deck circle and get my, get my deal done. Uh, but it was funny. There was a moment where, uh, a biz, biz was on a streak. I mean, he had granted, he had several thousand streaks, you know, but he, th- there was, um, like a piece of gum that he had to put on the knob of his bat. So he would get the hit, be chewing on the gum, run all the way around the bases, come back and whatever bat he used that was in there, he would take his gum and put the gum on the knob of the bat, go play defense, wait for his turn, turn to hit to come around. And he'd come back. The gum would still be there amazingly. And he'd take the gum right in his mouth and then go up and hit. Dude, I was floored. I'm like, bro, that is one of the nastiest. I mean, think about it now that we're in this COVID pandemic era. Think about what's going on right here. And that dude would chew on the same piece of gum. And uh, there was a he. There was one time too, like where he put his glove uh, on the step bef- as he came in from the field. Would have to be a particular way, and his hat would have to be sit in a particular way. And uh, he put it down there, and somebody spit a seed, like a seed uh, shell of a seed, just kind of. And it landed on his on the brim of his hat or something, you know. <laughs> and he goes up, gets a hit, comes back, sees the seed, and he's like, "Oh, okay." So he goes out, plays defense, comes back, and he find he <laughs> he yeah. picked up a seed off the ground and put it right back on the bill of his cap. That Craig Biggio, by far the craziest, most superstitious dude I've ever seen in my life. Uh, also played with Shane Reynolds, and this is this is a starting pitcher thing for you, Tuttle. I don't. I don't know how odd you were in doing these things, but you know, you've seen how dirty dugouts can be. Shane Reynolds would come back, sit down and have, you know, he'd have his water. He'd have his, you know, nutrition bars. He would sit his towel to wrap it around. He had the whole, he had his whole skit around him, but he had a section of the bench that was his in front of him on the ground. Now keep in mind how dirty and disgusting dugouts are. He would swipe he would clean off a three-foot space in front of him with his feet that would be immaculate. And if you happen to have a seed that would like trickle in there or a cup, I mean, he would immediately get up and, and you know swat that thing out of the way and it would just be immaculate right in front of him. That was one of the uh, more crazy things I've ever seen too. Uh, but yeah, that was an easy question to answer. My That's gosh. Funny. Well, you could just keep going. That's the funny part. I was going to say- Oh, Yeah. The immaculate part, what I liked about Shane Reynolds, um, and I, I don't know him, but I mean, what I liked about what you just described in his uh, his uh, detail of his superstition. Dude. Just a good old country boy. Nice. Is he wouldn't get on somebody like, hey, you spit a seed in my area. Like it wasn't, oh, no. you know, yeah, that's what I mean. It what This wasn't, this was his thing and he had to stay mentally sharp. So he would kind of keep his eye on this little space. And if something drifted in, he would clean it up, which I got to like. So you mentioned the gum thing. I mean- Playing in the Arizona Fall League, that was a little uh, taste of, you know, I mean, Jermaine Dye was on my team, we talked about. So there were some minor league guys and some major league guys that were, you know, heading to the major leagues. Yeah, um, those teams had dudes. Yeah. Like so you knew who the dudes that's right. were. And some guys didn't, you know, necessarily pan out. I mean, myself included, but Jamie Bluma, do you remember him? Wichita State. I think he played, yeah. Pitched, yeah. So he pitched in the big leagues with the Royals. Um, Trevor Hoffman in instructional league I played with when he went from shortstop to pitcher. So before oh, wow. he even started saving games, but both those guys were very similar. It wasn't superstitious, but you think like taking a piece of gum off a bat and chewing it, it's your own gum. Like those guys would bet who would pick up somebody else's chew off the ground. <laughs> I mean, and they'd be like, oh yeah, well you, how about five bucks, 10 bucks? We take that chew. When was that chew? I don't know. It's oh. been sitting there since yesterday. They put the chew in and eat, you know, I mean, that's not a superstition. That's a whole nother story. But 
you know, I had a uh, I had a roommate in a ball who I ultimately think now was uh, OCD, but he had to do. A, I mean, he had to. Isn't put, it funny how we didn't know what that was when we were playing? You're yeah, like, this guy's freaking. Yeah, he does. He does yeah. that every day. Right. Well, and what we've talked about this on the podcast before, like superstition is a stretch of a word. Like what I like to do, and Wade Boggs was notorious for eating like chicken every yeah. day before chicken. a meal, and like at five twenty seven, he would forty five beers on every flight. Yeah. Well, that's right. Well. <laughs> That's a whole. I don't know if that was superstition or just you know <laughs> another so issue. A unique talent. <laughs> That's right, a skill. <laughs> but you skill know, but the, he's he's notorious for like a, he he was in the group that would hit at five twenty seven every day, and he'd have to take a hundred ground balls and he'd run his sprints at the same time. But I always kind of this was our debate before is like, is that really a superstition? Because I always wanted to have a routine that made me feel like I was ready to do my job, and that way, if something got out of whack, it wasn't like, oh my god, it's all going to fall apart. It was like, I'm keeping this routine so that I know that the process is in order and then I can adjust within, oh, I gave up a hit. You know, I was hoping to throw a no hitter. I gave up a run. I was hoping to give up no runs. And then you can keep everything else. If everything else is in order, then you feel like you're ready to at least attack that job. And I don't know if that's a superstition. So I always liked, I put my glove and ball on the left side and I would, like you said, wrap my arm and I liked my little spot in the dugout. I didn't keep like a three by three space, but, um, but this guy was kind of OCD and he would have to put his shoes by his locker, his shower shoes. He would drop them at the same time. And if they <laughs> spread out, he would do it again. He would do it again. And he would do that with his cleats. He would do that with his shower shoes. And like you said, maybe we didn't know what OCD was. And I didn't know if that was a superstition, but it was really, it was a really unique ritual to watch because some days he would get them there on the first or second try. Some days it was like 22 tries and you're over there trying not to watch them. But it was like, you just could not not look. I'm like, oh, how many times is he going to put his shoes down? Mm-hmm. Like he would put his turfs down before he put on spikes. Turfs down. Nope. Didn't like that. Turfs. 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 Oh, yeah. Turfs. I like how they are. They're bottom of my locker. They're perfect. You know, and you're like, whoa, okay. Mm-hmm. Is that superstition or yeah. insanity? I don't know. But uh, just the ability to move on after that. I've, I've, I've got two more. So I've got two more that yeah, came see, to mind. There's, yeah. Oh, but, but another one is Bish. Bish would carry three bats to the uh, dugout, but before he did that, he would line them up in the clubhouse. And for whatever reason, Brad Osmus was in a bad mood again that day. And he comes in and just drop kicks these things across the clubhouse. And he, he's just, and you could see Bish's face just deteriorate. And he's. <laughs> Brad's like, get that shit out of I mean, it, Dude, it was hilarious. And then uh, Darren Erstead, he couldn't have a cup. If a cup was thrown on the ground and it stood up, either right side up or upside down, it couldn't be standing up. He would tip it over. And, he, and it wouldn't be like he would kick it or forcefully. It would just be like a nudge, just enough to get it on its side. I mean, it was the funniest thing, dude. But that guy, he would, if it got to the point, and you know this too, Total, you're laughing because you, you would know stand them up just to see how many. Dude, would we would stand like 30 of them up. He went, oh, he'd yeah. go out to the field. Like if yeah. he was playing that day or oh, he went to go pinch hit, we would, we would take, we wouldn't even watch his at bat. We'd stack cups all over the duck. And he'd come back infuriated and just yeah. tipping them over. I, every yeah. single one until the last one was tipped over. And then he'd move on with his day. Yeah. It's hilarious. People, yeah, they're funny. But I but I honestly think, yeah, for some guys, maybe OCD or superstition, but I just think for most guys, it was really just about a routine. And once they started doing it, that shows True. the commitment to your craft, right? Like, hey, 
I'm going to knock all these cups down regardless. He can't get mad mm-hmm. at the team, but yeah. Isn't it funny? The like, where did that originate? Did he hit like two home runs that day or something or what? I don't know, man. Yeah. You know what? Hey, let's get him on the podcast and ask him. Like, wonder if he still does it. He was coaching, I think, in Nebraska for a while or something. We should oh, yeah. ask him if he has to tip cups oh, in there with his be, team. I got to call him. That would be yeah. fun. But I'll tell you, you what. Tell, explain what, to me your cup. Yeah. The, why did you start that? But the funny <laughs> thing is I think it, it's more indicative of the personalities, too, because we talk about mm-hmm. being a, a strong baseball player as a grinder and somebody who's just mentally tough. Like, look. I'm not going to get upset that somebody threw a cup in my three by three clean space. I'm going to keep it clean. I'm not going to get upset that the team's messing with me. You know, I'm just going to mm-hmm. knock the cups True. over because that makes me feel comfortable. And I think those guys just, you know, it's just part of their personality and part of what makes baseball fun. I think the funniest part of it, all these superstitions or these crazy things is the instinct of a baseball player to be like, all right, what's his foible? We're going to crush that. We're going to stack cups. Him gonna, out. Yeah. And see how long it goes. I mean, that was just, you know, we used to ask Conti. I brought up Conti on here before, you know, first of all, you like to be called Jason Conti, which is funny because it's I, there's no I in team, but there's definitely an I in Conti. Well, there's an I in Conti. So we would, so we would call him Conti, you know, just to piss him off. But the other thing we would do <laughs> is, you know, if we weren't getting along with him, we'd ask him what is, I told you before, he's kind of the guy that would calculate his batting average on the way down to first. So we would ask him like, hey, what, what are you batting now? Like, what, what is that? Are you we one for three today or one for four? You know, we would just, oh I mean, just wear him out. One for three, what does that make you? Like 320, just keep, 327? Just keep poking, just, man. <laughs> just yeah. keep poking the bear. Good job, Conti. Nice. What was he, a one for three? Dude, we can drag out some answers, bro. <laughs> I see. Yeah. What do we have? Con- <laughs> what do we have? We have- <laughs> but these are awesome. <laughs> What's the oddest thing said to you on a mound visit? <laughs> I'm going to, hey, Blummer, I'm going to take this one. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you, I, no, but take it. Funny- you, I mean, you, you've had more mound visits than I have. Yeah. Well, the, I think the funny part is what you just said. Like you, you were definitely participating, but you know, you do the glove over the mask and just listen. You just came up there and listened to what was going on. You know, oh gosh, you know, there were a lot of mound visits. Like, um, I, I wish there was, I wish there was one that caused hilarity. But you know, honestly, when you're in that, you know, you're in the trenches and you're trying to, you know, as a starting pitcher, when they come out to visit you, it's usually not a good thing. I mean, they don't come out there to tell you, hey you're doing a fantastic job out here. You know, it's usually like, you never, you never had that pitching coach that was like, you were just getting shelled and he came out and goes, Hey man, you've gotten one more out than a dead guy or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Not, I don't not, I can't remember. Anybody said that. I will say there were there. I, I mean, I think we've all had this experience, but there were times where they would say to you, like, you know, before the game, which that's another thing that probably would or would not happen in the big league because you understand. You guys talk about on the broadcast all the time. We're like, look, you know, you're you're in for the long haul. We used up our bullpen the last two days, and you're kind of either in a spot oh, start or you know, and you know you got to be out there. And it's the fourth inning, and you're sweating bullets, and the bases are loaded, and you've already given up two runs, and you're like. Yeah, you know, they'll come out and be like, all right. <laughs> and you're expecting them to be like, all right, we got some guys warming up and they're smiling. Like, you know, it's it's the old Bull Durham. Like, hey, what are we going to get, you know, him for the wedding gift? Like, you know, I mean, you just know you're in there. Hey, I just came out to give you a breather and you already know the tension that you're under. And I always thought that that, that, that was nice. But I didn't like, I feel like the difference between as I moved up the ranks, like in the, you know, AAA big league type pitching coaches in spring training was always very tactical, like, you know, like, all right, what are we going to do? This is, you know, what's the scouting report on this guy? We went over it before. 
in the minor leagues, they would never, I don't know, they would tell you like, hey, we need you to go like seven today, which, you know, that, you know, before you've thrown a pitch, like I never liked that kind of like coaching thing. But I, you know, there weren't any, there weren't any really good stories that I can remember uh, from guys coming I out. So. I don't know. Yeah, I know you always have good ones. Well, because you were also a participant, meaning you would just come over from third or short and like listen. I'd be listen. on the fringe, yeah. Yeah, you're just like, hey, what's going on here? Are we going to talk bunt defense or are we going to talk about this? But I mean, I just, you know, for a pitcher, as long as I played, um, I don't have any really good stories about mound visits, which I guess speaks volumes. They either came out to take me out <laughs> or, or or not. So, um, oh, I will I will throw something out there. So there was an umpire... Um, who was the son of a longtime major league umpire named Brian Rungi. So Paul Rungi's son. And Brian Rungi is, <clears throat> he and I never saw eye to eye on much. And when I was closing games, he would call a strike intentionally, a ball and stare out at you. And so <laughs> so our manager, so good, I do have some stories here. They're coming to me. This is a problem when you get old, you forget all this stuff. But uh, Rungi was staring at me, and I was closing games. This was A ball or double A, but Chris Spire was our manager, longtime shortstop of uh, the San Francisco Giants, my San Francisco Giants, and still around baseball. I believe he's coaching third base somewhere. He was um, when I last saw, but you know, pretty good guy, pretty intense. He was a bench coach with the. Uh, he was a bench coach with the uh, Astros last year. Oh, there you go. So Spy is an interesting guy, and Blummer, you could attest to that. I don't know if during COVID if you got to meet him a whole lot, but. Uh, so Spire's a base coach a lot with Cincinnati. There you go. So Spire's a Spire's a decent guy, but uh, you know, pretty intense, believe it or not. And he's a guy you didn't want to call coach. He's like he would go <laughs> nuts. Back to the first question, he would go nuts. Just call me Spy or Chris or Skipper or whatever. But he, you know, we're I was closing game, so it was the end of the game, and Rungi's like calling strikes balls and balls strikes, and you know, I think I walked the first guy or I had one out and a guy in first and. Spire came out to talk to me and I'm like, oh, when he comes out, you're usually coming out, right? The pitching goes and come out. And he's like, stand here, just wait. And they waited for Rungi to come out and he tore him a new one and got tossed and we ended up closing the game and winning the game. But Rungi's one of those umpires that was like, I mean, he didn't care. Like he would, he knew that he was going to toss the manager and then he didn't really change his, like I had to throw strikes just so those guys would hit it to players and we would get out of the game. Cause I, I was not going to get, <laughs> I was not going to get a called third strike with him behind the plate. But that was really fun. Cause I was like, man, Spire's coming out here. Like I'm, you know, I'm closing games. Like I I'm, I'm doing the job. And he just said, just wait right here. And he just waited. We had the Jeopardy music going. And Rungi came out to say, all right, time to break it up. And he tore him a new one. And uh, some colorful language got tossed. That's veteran coaching right there. Veteran coaching. So that's, you know, they use that all the time. And you can see it on TV, Blummer, and I'm sure you have these stories. But... You know you where it's happening. In, yeah, he's looking at the pitcher and he starts pointing his finger, and the umpire's right there. And you know darn well he's just, you know, giving mm-hmm. the umpire an earful. So anyway, so I'm sure you have things along those lines, but that that one was great. So man, mound visits. Uh, so I've had several very interesting ones. A lot of them involved Doug Brocale, uh, Greg Maddox. But there was a moment in 2008, and this is a, this is a podcast story. This is something I, I can't tell on on our broadcast. So this is an exclusive. In 2008, signed back with the Houston Astros, Miguel Tejada ends up being an Astro, and it's you know he's at he's at shortstop. I'm at third base. 
you know, we're, I think we finished third that year in 2008 in the National League Central. So we were, you know, we were kind of competing and feeling like we had a chance later in the season. And I can't remember, I think it was Jose Valverde at the time, maybe our closer. And we get to the ninth inning and our pitcher can't get through that inning. So we bring in Jose Valverde. And as they're bringing Jose Valverde in, I'm standing at the mound with, um, with Miguel Tejada. And we're at home, and there's got to be 30, 30, 35,000 people there. You know, it's a pretty packed house. And he comes over to me, and he could never finish. He never finished a word. So, you know, if it if Tuttle was the guy, you'd be Tut. Uh, you know, if Ramos was on the team, he'd be Ramo. Um, I was blue. He he never finished my last name, so I was always blue. Hey, blue, blue, blue. What are you doing? Blue. He couldn't blue, even blue. get the bloom. So, <laughs> Bloom. No, the M did. The M didn't exist. It was just blue. It, it was G blue. So, you know, we're standing there and, uh, he goes, Hey blue. And I go, what do you got, Miggy? I go, you know, you know, I'm waiting for like some veteran expertise, some playoff, me- you know, mentoring. And he goes, he goes, you see that girl? And I go, what? He goes, you see that girl? I'm like, what girl? And he's like that one over there. And he goes in the blue top. And I'm going, Dude, there's 35,000 people here right now. Miggy, I go, you got to be a little more specific. What do you got? And he goes, Blue, the one with the big, big titty. And I went, What? (laughs) (laughs) And he goes, Over there, the one with the big, big titty. And I go, I'm finally, I'm like, Damn it. I'm like, Okay, now I want to see. And I go, Where is this girl with the big, big? And (laughs) this is how I'm saying it to him Miggy, where is the girl with the big, big titty? (laughs) That rhymes, by the way. And he, and he goes in the upper tank, and he starts <laughs> laughing, starts laughing, and walks away. And I'm like, "Son of a bitch!" God, I'm like, "You got me." He's like, "Yeah, I got you with a big, big titty." Oh, and he starts funny. laughing, and he walks away. Uh, that's the old like, you got something on your shirt. You got something on your shirt. <laughs> exactly. You're like, I'm not gonna look. I am not going to look. I refuse to look. There. Where is she? Upper tank. <laughs> upper tank. I went, oh, son of a. Uh, there was another oh, Doug Brokale story where we're in spring training and he <laughs> wind is blowing out at Kissimmee. It's like his second appearance. Cecil Cooper's our manager and he is just getting tattooed. I mean, baseballs are going by me at like 150 miles an hour. I, I don't even know. All I know that the outfielders have like their names on the back of their jersey because that's all I see rushing to the wall. And uh, he's get it's like I've 10 pitches there. in. He's <laughs> yeah, and it, it's just miserable. It's spring training. He's probably trying to work on something, but he's just getting shellacked. And uh, I go out to the mound and I go, I go, Doug. I go, man, dude. I go, I'm tired of seeing the backs of guys' jerseys. I go, you got, you know, there's people in harm's way out here. And <laughs> he, after he gets done yelling at me, he goes, back up. And I go, what? And he goes, he goes, get off the mound. And I, he turns around and he faces he faces the field, and he goes, "Everybody, back the f off!" <laughs> <laughs> At the top of his That's lungs, great. he says it twice, That's and you great. can see the outfield the first time kind of go. What? Is he is he yelling at us? <laughs> and That's the funny. second time he says it, I've got my arms in the air and I'm like giving it the back the f 
up. That's <laughs> he so went like funny. Drake Chris Farley on the thing and started screaming at everybody, man. I thought poor Cecil Cooper was going to fall out of his chair. He didn't know how to handle it, but that was that was damn funny. That's a professional right there. We've talked about trying to make a team in spring training. <laughs> Either you know you're on the team or you just know it's not your day, but the fact that he uh, is able to embrace it. Oh, yeah. I don't think I was ever on the field um, past college where I ever felt that comfortable. Um, you know, but that's, I mean, that's great. I mean, that, that, those are the stories that we, we need to tell more of on this podcast. And certainly the fans I think can appreciate because now when they see a mound visit on TV, you can start, you know, <laughs> you've seen those memes where they do the, the memes or the voiceovers, like what they're really saying oh, yeah, the and lip, what they're not lip reading. Yeah. yeah the lip read, like that, that, that's what you guys should do every time somebody comes out. Cause a lot of times it's like, all right, you know, what's scouting pros guy? We're going to go hard in. All right. What do we want to start them off with? Mm-hmm. Okay. But if you ever get the, you know, broke hills to getting tattooed or, you know, we're going <laughs> to give the umpire an earful or, you know, I'm sure Maddox, you have no good Maddox stories on the mound because when Maddox got no, a visit, Maddox. it would be like, I'm staying in or I'm coming out. Like the manager didn't have a whole lot of say. No, it's so, so there, true. Probably. He actually, well, I played with him later in his career. So he had moments where he had the lead. He knew he was gassed and, you know, mm-hmm. Bud Black would come out and he's, and, Maddox would be like, what took you so long <laughs> you know, to get me out of here? But the best was playing third base for, uh, for Greg. And he would, he would call me over real quick. He'd be like, you know, Blummer, come here. And I'd come over and he'd go, uh, be ready on the third pitch. Take a step to your right. And I'm like, well, damn. All right. I go third pitch. He goes, yeah, third pitch, take a step to your right. And I mean, I'd go over there. I'd be hanging out at third base. We'd get to whatever it was, count three pitches in, and I'd go, take my step to the right, and guess what? Whack! It'd be a one-hopper. Hard as, <laughs> right like, 112 <laughs> miles an hour off the bat, but guess what? Right at me. Right and I'd at catch you. it and throw them out, and I'm like, <laughs> nicely <laughs> done, you, Mr. Sir. Maddox. That's right. Yeah. You know, I wish, I've said this before, a lot of people wish they were Greg Maddox. I just wish I had considered the... Uh, you know, I think a lot of pitchers think like this about swinging and missing. I've been watching, you know, the Astros a lot and stuff. What's wrong with like swinging and hitting, right? Like, let's have them hit it where they, you know, where they are. And Greg was the master at that. Oh, he, he was on point. Yeah, this day and age of swing and miss, he, he's a guy that pitched to contact, but he's a guy that you loved playing behind because you knew you had to be ready. Okay, last question, guys. If you had to do it over again, what would you do different? And don't give me this. I wouldn't do anything different because it got me to where I am today, PC stuff. <laughs> you have five seconds to talk to your high school self. What are you going to tell yourself regarding baseball only? Ooh, thank goodness it's baseball only. Uh, I got a lot. Man, no kidding. <laughs> a lot of things just went flying through my head. Well, you can um, elaborate if you need to. <laughs> no, that's all right. Hey, so, I mean, this is... <laughs> Uh, no, no, thank you. I, I made it through the era without Instagram and Twitter, and you know, I got it came through pretty scot free. Thank God, yeah, that's right. So five seconds. No, I mean the thing is that 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 Blummer and I hit it off um, talking in the parking lot about all of these things that we learned through baseball um, in general in life, and I think the nice thing isn't even about baseball. Like, hey, it's all going to turn out the way you want, but the the best lesson in baseball is you know doesn't matter whether you go three for three or oh for three just keep grinding i mean keep your head and your wits about you and i would think if you could tell your high school self that because i think in high school as you start getting some accolades and some uh notoriety you know you think that you're better than you are or you think that you're you're going places and that the team relies on you more than they do but 
you know, as we know, you can only do your best. So, you know, going in and taking your aluminum bat, you were three for four and you got out the fourth at bat and you lose the game, you know, going in and smashing the water cooler with your aluminum bat and like throwing a tantrum, you know, it doesn't make anybody, uh, you know, it doesn't make anybody respect you anymore. And I think um, I heard this, uh, I think it was Darren Huff uh, with the Giants, just he wrote something for the Players' Tribune that when he got called up to the big leagues, you know, Buster Posey struck out with guys on second and third late in the game. And he came in and he put his helmet in the uh, rack and put his bat in the rack and started putting on his gear. And he was like, oh, so that's how a big leaguer is supposed to handle himself. And I think the earlier you can learn to do that and the earlier that you you know, set the bar high for yourself, but are able to deal with the failures, the better off you're going to be in life and certainly in baseball as you climb the ladder. And we did not plan this ahead of time. So I agree with most of what Tuttle's saying because I I think I would have gone back and done the same thing to myself because you don't know it at the time. You're so self-absorbed. You think everybody's looking at you for the, for the, for the wrong reason when they're actually looking at you as an example. And I think that's where I would probably go back and go, hey, people are watching, but they're not watching because you're good. They're watching because they, they, they value you. And I think that the hard, I would, five seconds, I'd say work as hard as you can on the day you went over four and the day you went four for four. Because there were a lot of times where I said, oh, I got this and my talent would take over as opposed to working harder earlier. Um, I didn't learn till late that I had to work harder to maintain what I had going and to stay in the stay where I wanted to be. I think if I could have started working harder earlier, I may have actually created more opportunities, um, both on and off the field. And then, uh, like Tuttle said, I, I don't think I would have valued every at bat, but I wouldn't have valued it in the sense where I'm going to snap. I think I would have learned from the at bat and move forward, uh, as opposed to going, you know, GD son of a, and breaking things and going, Oh, that's how, that's the reaction that was supposed to be there as opposed to saying, Hey, I did, I did my best. I didn't get it done. Let's go on to the next at bat. Or Because I feel like sometimes that took away from the team aspect a little bit. So working hard and being a little more team friendly might have been uh, the idea for myself as a high schooler. Yep. Good, good answer. Good question too, man. Yeah, great question. And I will say as the podcast today comes out um, with our interview, um, well, I guess th- that you would have heard in the past. So I'm not sure how we're going to lay that out. But uh, I think uh, Mr. Uh, Victor Rojas mentioned that... Uh, he talks to his son about that all the time, right? About how to, how, like what scouts look for and they watch people like, it's not about how you are actually on the field all the time. So I know that's yeah, it's not, not a five second answer. Oriented. That's right. It's how you carry yourself. Are you confident? Are you a good teammate? And all those things. And honestly, you know, we know the tip of the spear is the major leagues. And, you know, I was striving to get there for many years. Blummer played there for many years. But the bottom line is like, how do you handle yourself in life? How do you handle yourself driving your car around the city? How do you handle yourself when you're in line at the grocery store? And I think all of those things, um, you know, kind of precede what you are as an athlete because, you know, ultimately it's how you are as a human and, you know, the qualities you have as a human may take you to the big leagues and they may not, but you're still going to be stuck in your same shell of a body. So <laughs> anyway, I mean, that's all I got, but, uh, you know, five seconds is too short of a time to answer that question. But I think, um, <laughs> I think the old, uh, right, if I only knew then what I know now kind of is, you know, prevalent oh, yeah. as we get older. All right. And that's going to do it on this episode of uh, Bleacher Blums. Of course, at the end of every podcast, we'd like to thank those in the military and first responders, essential workers, frontline workers, everything that all of you are doing is greatly appreciated. We cannot 
express our gratitude enough. Uh, we were just fortunate to have this podcast and have the opportunity to give everybody who is out there putting themselves in harm's way or trying to create a better way of life for us to give them a voice and give them a shout out every chance we get. So that's going to do it from the bleachers. We enjoy the mailbag. Remember to get out there, rate, subscribe, review, let us know your thoughts, let us know your questions, and we will get back to you because you are sitting in the bleachers with myself and Tuttle and Ramos. All right, be good, get after it, and believe it. Believe it. Excuse me? I feel like I don't even know you.